There we go. We're going to continue on in a series we're doing called Be the Church. Uh, the, the main sort of thing that I, I want to get at as we talk about this is the church is about people. And so whenever you think about the church, you realize that you're the church. Right now we're the church gathered corporately. When you leave here in a little while, you'll be the church on mission. You're still the church. So church is who we are, not just something that we do. We have a tendency to think of, oh, I'm, I'm doing church, I'm going to church. But you are the church all the time. And when that really sinks in, it starts to change the way that we move through this life. Because it's about people, it's about our relationships, and we're talking about our relationship with God and with the people of God and with the future people of God, and we're looking in the context of discipleship, fellowship, mission, and worship. Right now, we've been talking for the last few weeks about fellowship. Uh, I've said so far in fellowship that, you know, we're to be kind and compassionate towards one another. Last week we talked about humility and gentleness. And it's very important that that sort of idea of humility sinks with us as we press in uh, over the next couple of weeks and kind of really look at how important this idea of our relationship with one another it is. And that we need to be teachable. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to show us some things about us uh, and uh, so that we can relate well and love well and extravagantly to have the best life that we can have in Christ and make the biggest impact for the kingdom. So we'll be pressing in on that today. That's the intro transition. Always a bad joke or two. These are three very bad jokes, which I'm pleased with. What do you call a chicken that can count its eggs? Mathem a chicken. That's terrible. You want to know what's blue and not very heavy? Light blue. That's only even a remotely funnier because the first one is so bad. Because that's really stupid. This is a relationship joke. It's not easy living near Mr. Potato Head. He keeps sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. That's a Toy Story joke. Okay, apologies to the visitors and then right into the scripture reading. Matthew six thirteen through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say... The Son of Man is. They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Now, this is one of two passages in the scripture where Jesus mentions the church, where he talks about the church. Um, it's not that the church isn't significant. It's just it was, you know, hadn't started happening yet. The Holy Spirit's going to come at Pentecost. And so most of our understanding of the church will come through the writing of the apostles, particularly the apostle Paul. But Jesus does talk about the church. And this is one of those instances. And from this um, situation, we can learn some things. The first one is this. That the church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. The church. Remember, whenever we say church, that's us, right? is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. So let's kind of look at that passage for a minute. 
it's a powerful passage, and there's so much stuff in there. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on that one passage, but I just want to talk about this, this sort of interaction that he has with his disciples. Jesus says to his disciples, so who do the people say that I am? What's going on out there? And they respond, you know, well, they usually with sort of like a list of some of the prophets that have been mentioned in the Bible. They think you're, you're like one of these guys. And then Jesus looks and he turns to Simon uh, and uh, well, he turns to the whole disciples and he say, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And, and Simon answers back this way, Simon Peter, Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Peter absolutely gets it, who Jesus is and what it's all about. And uh, Jesus uh, says to him, you know, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So this was a revelation from God about who Jesus is that he gave to Simon uh, there in the process. And Jesus says, blessed are you. And then look what he does in the very next verse. And he says this, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. So, so God gives Peter a revelation about who Jesus is. And then Jesus bestows on Simon a new identity. Simon, you're, you're now Peter, uh, and, and, which means rock. And, and on this revelation, he says, I will build my church. Sometimes people look at that and they think, well, that meant that Peter was the foundation of the church. But Jesus is the foundation that the church is built on. Paul says clearly in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the foundation of the church, and the church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. So when you, when you sort of step back and think about that for a moment, so cool. So we are the community of people who are discovering who Jesus is, and as a result, we're the community of people who uh, are discovering who we really are in Him. We're discovering this new identity that we have, and it changes everything about us. And that's why it's so important for us to, to allow these things to sink in and to understand who we are in Christ and what that means, and that's where our identity is found. And, and I've been saying for the last few weeks, see, see, our identity, who we are in Christ, and our relationships, they go hand in hand. Because when we can settle in who we are and what that means, it changes the way that we relate to the people around us. It changes everything. Uh, be, because we're, we're not striving for position and we're not, we're not you know, concerned about what this one thinks or what that one thinks. But we can just see what needs to be done and we can move into it. So this whole idea is extremely important for us to allow to sink deep within us. So Jesus, obviously our model for everything, life and ministry. Point number two, uh, we want to look at and keep looking at how Jesus relates to people. How Jesus relates to people. See, because Jesus was so settled in who he was, um, he, he does things that I don't think we expect throughout the Gospels. I love reading the way he interacts with people because it, it often completely challenges me um, because my, I think my reactions might be different at different times. How he responds to people is so significant. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the, the Last Supper and the foot washing. And remember, I told you that um, moving into that whole dinner, that, that everything is in place for the foot washing. It was supposed to happen. It was something that needed to take place. And the towel was there and the water was there. The basin was there. Everything was 
there. And the point in time had come in the meal for the foot washing to happen, and no one was moving towards the towel in the water. And, and what was happening instead is the disciples were having an argument about who was the greatest. This argument was all about nobody, no one wanted to go and be the servant because it was like the lowest job there was. So what amazingly happens is that Jesus, just think about that, fully God, fully man, all about Jesus. Jesus gets up because they would have been reclining, takes off his outer garment, wraps the towel around him, and he goes and he washes his disciples' feet because it needed to be done. And because he was so settled in who he was, he could do it. He didn't need to get into that argument about who's the greatest. He just knew who he was in Christ. And so he was able to see what needed to be done and go and do it. And, and that's so important for us to be able to get to a place where we're free from all that other mess that seems to hinder so many people and so many relationships that we have about position and who's this and who's that into a place where we can just do what really needs to be done to bless God and to bless others. So it's significant that we sort of begin to look at that. So I want to talk about another encounter that he has. And uh, this is a, a, an amazing thing that takes place here. It's in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. And it lets us see at how the religious, established religious community of the day acted and how Jesus acts. And we're going to make some comparisons and contrast between the two. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go and leave your life of sin. So let's contrast what's taking place here and let's look at these things. The Pharisees... Um, first off, the established religious community, that's the Pharisees, they treat this woman horrifically, for one thing. They have no concern for her value or her worth. Um, they're, they're being extremely hypocritical because caught in the act of adultery would require two persons, uh, and they've only dragged one up in front of this group. They've already said they don't, they don't even really care about the issue. I, I think they would have probably already stoned her to death, but they figured out, hey, we can use this to trap Jesus. And so that's how they come. Think about how the woman must have felt at that point in time. And, and so the Pharisees look at this woman, and she's just a problem for them. And at the very least, they, they want to punish her, you know, with a final punishment. That's what they expect to happen. But they bring her to Jesus. But look at how Jesus engages in the scene. See, the first thing that Jesus does is he actually defends her. He defends her. He, in, in so doing, he's giving her value and worth. And, and he steps in on her behalf. And, and, and you know, he, he makes a difference in her life. And he's responding in a completely different way than the Pharisees with compassion and kindness and love and, and gentleness, the things that we've talked about uh, into this lady's life and into this woman's life. And 
everyone walks away in this process except Jesus and this woman. And they're there uh, in this encounter. And he says, who condemn you? condemns you? And she says, no one. Then neither do I. But listen to what he says. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus in no way was saying that sin was okay. But, but Jesus is saying, listen, you're, you're, you have much more in store for you than this. You can live a much different life than this. And so he wants to empower her to live the life that, that she was created to live. And so he treats her in a completely different way. And, and, and so rather than punish her, he actually encourages her and empowers her to live the life she was created for. What you need to start seeing there is that in the presence of sin, the Pharisees were ultimately afraid. And yet in the presence of sin, Jesus um, could stand in that uh, and he could offer love and comfort because he's the solution. See, it's a completely different process of what's going on. And and I love that about Jesus. Don't don't you love that? I don't know about you. I didn't grow up as a believer. So... When I first encountered Jesus, I was a long way off. <laughs> we, we don't even need to get into that right now. I mean, but about as far away as you could get, that was me. And yet I knew that Jesus loved me. I, I had done nothing to earn it. I, I was so not lovable. Uh, and yet he loved me. And there's just something about that. It, what I was doing in my life, that, he wasn't saying that was okay by any stretch. But he was letting me know by his love that there was more to life. And that's what changed me over time. It was that understanding, see? And that's what we need to sort of get at in the process of our relationships and how we relate to one another. Well, I love this too, of that story. I don't know if you've ever known that that story is more than just about a woman in this counter at that particular time. It's really a metaphor. And you can look at that story, and the accusers, there are many, uh, but they sort of are symbolic of the big accuser, the evil one. And the woman caught in adultery, she's sort of uh, symbolic of Israel, but ultimately all of fallen mankind, because all of us have gone after someone other than God in our lives. We've gone on other things, sort of in that same sin. And yet when Jesus comes to us and we we come to him, he loves us and he gives us grace and he pours out that grace upon us so that we can come into the life that he's created us for. Oh, and when he's bending down, you keep wondering what's going on and standing up. Lots of ideas about that. But that's really just a picture of Jesus and his position on earth and on heaven. And, And the significance of that changes that story. A big deal. So so we need to sort of have that in mind as we talk about how we're going to relate to one another. And this week, I want to say that there's two ways that we relate to one another. Either we're going to respond or we're going to react. Responding or reacting. So the Pharisees were reacting. Jesus was responding. The Pharisees were motivated by fear. Jesus is motivated by love. The Pharisees are all about the law. Jesus is all about grace. The law is fear-based. It's about punishment. Grace is love-based. When we're reactive, we're moving into law and punishment. But when we're responsive, that's based on grace and empowering. And it's significant that that sort of makes a difference in our lives. But you can't do that 
well until you're very much settled in your identity in Christ and who you are. And you have to be settled in the fact that you're forgiven. When you come to Christ, you've been justified. I know I talk about this a lot, but I need you to make sure that you have this. When you get saved, you're justified. You're also being saved. That's sanctified. And you will be saved. That's glorified. But when you give your life to Jesus, you're absolutely forgiven of everything you've done, doing, will do. Forgiven. And you are in relationship with God who's seeing you in the perfection of His Son. And, and it's, it's beyond what we can even understand, perhaps, and, and describe. But we need to get a hold of that because that's how we're to operate in this life. The Holy Spirit comes when we give our lives to Him. And He's working us through the mess that we know that is still going on. But because He's working in us and because we've been forgiven, that doesn't give room for the enemy to beat us up and take us down and keep us in guilt and shame. And, and we'll ultimately be glorified. That's going to happen in point. But we're in progress. But, man, we're justified. And I can stand in here and relate to people because I don't have to perform. I, I, have to, I just can settle in who I am. I'm forgiven. I'm still a mess, but I'm forgiven. And I'm a new person. And I want to relate to people in that manner. And, and, and that's what Jesus models for us, how important that is. I love this story uh, in, in uh, John later on where he's having this encounter with Peter, verse 15. This is after the crucifixion and resurrection. And remember, Peter has denied Jesus three times. And he's just, Peter's not sure what what this means, what's coming next. He's really messed up. He gets it. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's, what's, there's so many amazing things that happen. But the, but the thing that I want to look at is that Jesus' concern is the restoration of Peter there. Um, he, he wants to make sure that Peter can still be settled in who he is, in his identity of being Peter. Uh, and because in our picture, uh, scripture reading, remember, we said he was going to minister to the church significantly, but he's blown it bad and he's not maybe not sure anymore. Jesus comes and spends that time. Why is that so amazing? Well, think about it. If, if Jesus fully got fully man too, think about perhaps your closest friend that you've spent three years with like almost every waking moment and you've taught and you've trained and you've prayed for and you've been through things and you've done all the things that they would do. And at the moment of your life where you were in your greatest difficulty, your greatest need, that very person runs off and denies you three times. You might have an issue. Honestly, right? We might be a little offended, hurt. We might not sure how to do it. But Jesus, because he, see, that didn't change who he was. That, that, that didn't change. Jesus still knew who he was. And what he's concerned about is Peter in this process and making sure that he's restored to his calling because it was significant. And so when, when we are faced with situations, we need to figure out if we're going to be responsive or reactive. Um, who, and ultimately, it's about who we're going to partner with when something comes up, something difficult comes up. Are we going to partner with fear? which will slide us right back into punishment and the law, which is our tendency. We, wanna, we, keep wanting to, we forget who we are and we think we've got to earn it and perform and be judgmental and critical of everybody else. Or are we going to partner with love and move out of grace and, and encourage people and empower people to change? 
See, when people are empowered, they change. It's, it's not when you just beat them up with their mess. that They won't change there. But when they're empowered, they change. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not making light of sin here, even a little bit. God never did. If when you think about what he had to do to cover sin for us, to pay for our sin, that, that fully God, fully man, Jesus had to endure the, the beatings and, and the humiliation and the pain and, and everything that he had to do for us. Sin is a big deal. But he he doesn't want to punish it. He took our punishment. Do you get that bigger picture? Jesus took our punishment so that we could be empowered to live life. And it's when you're living life that you move towards him instead of towards sin. There's a difference. There's something that changes in you. When you're you're motivated by love instead of fear, you're changed. When, When it's not about performance, it's just about responding to the love of God. That's when you begin to make significant changes in your life. And so we need to be aware of that and how he's treated us so that we begin to treat others like that in the process. Are we going to respond? Or are we going to react? And it's important that we know that under the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, living with Him, yielding to Him, we can always choose to respond or react. So, new story for this group. Um, when I was early on in the ministry, I'll go as quick as I can. So, so many years ago now. Uh, and it was here at this church and uh, pastoring this church. And back then it was a church of maybe a hundred on a good day if like it was going to rain and all the fishermen had to come as well. And uh, <laughs> so maybe on a good day there was a hundred people here. Just one service. That's all it was. I was, I was young uh, as a pastor, but, you know, I was loving God and doing the best we could. And I had somebody come up to me after a service um, it's really a nice woman but she came up to me and she said um, so, uh, she said everybody here doesn't like the version of the Bible that you're using so now I wasn't very settled in who I am yet and so I didn't respond I reacted and, and there was a few touch points in that statement that got me one is when, when you tell me everybody doesn't like something because I can be sarcastic, I might call you on that. And I did. Now, this is a, I, I, I don't relish this story. I want you to know the difference. I, I, I regret this whole process even to this day. But my response is, everybody? Really, everybody here. So if I go to everybody here, they're going to tell me the same thing. So she, I put her in a spot. You know, self-righteously, I could go. It was kind of like the whole deal with, you know, uh, saving, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. If there's five righteous people. Bleh. So anyway, everybody. So no, well, like half of them. Do you think half of them don't like it? Well, maybe not half. Do you think like 20 of them don't like it? Well, maybe. So like I got down to her table. I said, like, well, the people at your table don't like it? I don't even know if all of them liked it. And they were family and, uh, or didn't like it. And, and I reacted in that way. It wasn't out of love. It was out of my fear. I was punishing, and what I was being was mean, and then she left. And I regret it to this moment. I, I think about it sometimes. I mean, I, I'm not under shame and guilt anymore, and I know I'm forgiven. But, but, and so, and, but it was all a place of not being settled in who I am. And, and, you know, what that means. Because that, that, that happens, that kind of stuff happens all the time where people come. And I'm able to respond now and just say lovingly, well, this is why. And, you know, let's, let's kind of move along. And this, I get it. And there's other translations and they're all good. And however you want to do that. There's lots of ways to handle that situation other than what I did. But, but it was a not being settled that caused me to react. I think in our relationships, um, 
we have to be aware of that. Are we reacting out of fear um, and you know, being defensive? Uh, or are we responding in love and grace, knowing that, that who we are in Christ and what that means, and wanting to make a difference in people's lives, not somehow because they don't agree with us, punish them uh, or, or any of those things. And so it's significant that we take a look at this. I've got to talk more about this, so we're going we're gonna to pick it up next week because I'm out of time. But um, be thinking about that. Are you responding or are you reacting in the things of this life and what that means to you? Okay? Ministry team, those who are here, head over the wall. People on the way of that wall are here to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, they'll make sure you get it. But let me pray for you as a group, and then we'll, uh, we'll dismiss. Papa, thank you for your love for us and your goodness to us. And help us, Lord, to love well, to love extravagantly, to be, be able to get free from that stuff that keeps us from moving the way you would have us move. To know that we're forgiven. To know that we're loved. So that we can love others well. That not only would it change us, but it would change the world around us for you. That you would bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area. That hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray for every church in the area, God, where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, did just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome God. If you need prayer for anything, the folks over there pray for you. Healing, relationship, problems, finances, situations, whatever. Let me say, too, that, that when I talk about forgiveness, I, I, I get a sense that, that some people here really wrestle with being forgiven. And, and I want to encourage you, let it sink in that you're forgiven and that you're loved and that you're valued and that Jesus stands for you and, and that he cares for you and he wants to encourage you and empower you to have life, abundant life. And so if you wrestle and struggle with that idea of forgiveness, let someone pray for you before you go today. And also, if you, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's take care of that too. Humility and faith. In humility, it's just admitting to God you're broken like all the rest of us here. You've sinned. Asking God to forgive you what you do. And then in faith, inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, do it now. If you need help, just go and ask somebody. I want to know Jesus. They'll know exactly what you mean, and they'll pray for you. So if you need prayer for that or anything, make sure you get it. If you're going to stay and have breakfast, thank you, Lord, for the food you provided. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible, draw people in for the 11 o'clock service today, God, so they can hear about your amazing love for them as well. You are an awesome, awesome God. Praise God from whom all bless. Amen. May the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. 
And go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. Prayers over there. Breakfast will be in the back. As you go, drive safely. Be kind to one another out there in the parking lot. Have a great day. Catch some fish. Hope your team wins. See you later. Bye.